Hello, this is Sharon Pierce coming to you from Beyond the Mask, and I'm here with my co-host, Jeremy Stanley, and we're looking forward to bringing you a wonderful show today. Absolutely. We look forward to speaking with Jackie Rolls about the cultural assessment within the American Association of Nurse Anesthetists, so stay tuned. Welcome to Beyond the Mask. Welcome to Beyond the Mask, innovation and opportunities for CRNAs with Jeremy Stanley and Sharon Pierce. We know you spend your day caring for your patient's best interests. On our show, we want to care for you. Join us as we leave the operating room and learn the latest in the CRNA industry. Beyond the Mask starts in 10, 9, 8, 7, this is Sharon Pierce, and I have the fortunate opportunity today to be talking to Jackie Rolls. Jackie is the Nurse Anesthesia Program Director and Associate Professor in the Layton School of Nursing. In addition to that, she's a clinical instructor for the College of Osteopathic Medicine. Dr. Rolls earned her bachelor's degree in nursing from Ball State University, a master's degree in business administration from the University of Memphis, a certificate in nurse anesthesia from the Truman Medical Center School of Nurse Anesthesia, coupled with a master of arts degree in biology from the University of Missouri at Kansas City. In addition to that, she also has a postmaster certificate as an adult nurse practitioner from Ball State University and a doctor of nursing practice from Barry University. Jackie, I'm exhausted just <laughs> telling your credentials. But today we are bringing Jackie in to speak with us about something that she did within the AANA. She is also a past president of the American Association of Nurse Anesthetists, and she was appointed to chair a very important task force this past year within the AANA. So, Jackie, how about you give us a little kickoff about the cultural assessment that the task force that you chaired. Well, sure. Thank you, first of all, Sharon, for having me today and giving me an opportunity to educate people on the Cultural Assessment Task Force. So in the summer of 2017, there was a group of concerned AANA members who began proposing actually an emergency resolution concerning the culture of the AANA and their wishes to have this culture studied and to improve upon the culture. The president at the time, Dr. Bruce Weiner, met with that group and he pledged that the AANA board of directors would form a cultural assessment task force. This task force was formed in the fall of 2017 and we had representation from various stakeholders in the AANA. So we had also the National Board of Certification and Recertification representative, the foundation, the Council on Accreditation, as well as a current board member, a student member, a member greater than five years, a member one to five years, a representation from the military and a business owner, past president and an educational program director. So we had quite a diverse group that was looking at the ANA culture. The 
aim of the group was to shape a current analysis of the organizational culture, see what the future organizational culture should look like according to the membership wishes. So we hired a consultant. There was the Sort Soul Group out of Wisconsin to help us do this. We had some initial interviews one-on-one with various stakeholder groups of the AANA and leaders that kicked off at Mid-Year Assembly in April of 2017, right? No, it was 2018, right? Yeah, sorry. This is a confusing year. So we had a lot of one-on-one interviews. Then we did some phone interviews, and we culminated this with a survey that went to all 52,000 members of the AANA. The survey had three tenets. The first one was a list of 80 descriptor words where an individual ranks those, the top 10 descriptors that are important to them in culture. Then they ranked where they saw the AANA currently and where they would like the AANA to be. So we looked for gaps in that analysis. The main overview is the fact that culture is very important to all of us. And while we all have, we know what the mission and the vision and some of the published rules are for organizations, they're this underlying non-written expectations, values, customs, beliefs, ways of doing things that really runs an organization. And if you don't align your personal views and values of culture with an association that you're a member of, you're going to be dissatisfied and you're not going to be a member for very long. So I had the opportunity to look at the about 130 page report that was given to the board, which was pretty impressive, Jackie. Now, what what were the gaps, I guess, is the question that I want to ask you in the well, cultural inter- Right. Interestingly, we had 4,200 some members that answered the survey. We divided the results into the group as a whole, and then three groups, the AANA members, former members or never been a member, and the AANA staff. So we were able to look at everyone's results, and we were able to break out individual group results. Overall, the ANA does a really good job of branding, of advocacy, really doing communication to a degree. The things that stood out that were negative and affecting our ability to kind of move up the chain to be a higher functioning and a higher level organization were identified as a bureaucracy and control and hierarchy. So those were three things that came out that said these are things we're dissatisfied with in the AANA and they're preventing the organization from functioning at a higher level. The Sortsall group brought in someone that does is a specialist in Barrett values, Barrett cultural values, and it's sort of like Maslow's hierarchy of needs. And you need to progress through the lower levels and get up to the upper levels to be the highest functioning organization. We were missing some key elements during those eight stages. And it came out that these things I mentioned are keeping us from moving forward. Then we also are missing some of more transparent communications, timely communications that are making our members feel dissatisfied, disengaged. You know, you speak about communication, and this is a 
battle that I think every single organization faces. Where is where's the line? Where where is it too much communication to members? I mean, we are all pretty guilty of getting so many emails you just hit delete, delete, delete. Was there any real points that came out about the communication piece? Like I said, we all struggle with that whenever you've worked within an organization. There were. And while we didn't ask for a lot of examples in the one-on-one interviews and some of the telephone group focus groups we had, there were examples of of things to where members felt like information wasn't given in a timely enough manner or to the level of detail that they wanted. There were some concerns with members' perceptions anyway that the board of directors is holding on to information and it's not getting to the membership or it's not getting to the membership in a timely enough manner. And we did discuss the fact that some of that has to do with board level functions and whether it's a strategic initiative that the ANA is working on and it can't be released at a certain time. But if it can't be at a certain time, then it needs to be released later. There were members who were asking what's going to happen with the results of the task force, for example, that we have consultants used in the ANA. Nobody hears the results of those and they're not sure whether the results were good, bad, could have made a difference. And so we were sure that this report was available to all members to read and understand or try to understand and be able to ask questions. Just as a curiosity, I know that they can track click-throughs if people actually read a report on the website or when it's sent out. Did they do any click-throughs to see how many people actually looked at this report? Not to my knowledge. We are in the final stages of we just did a post-analysis survey of satisfaction with the consultant for the members on the team. We did a debrief for those of us that were leading this program. And I do know that our consultant had a meeting recently with the AANA CEO and staff leadership to talk about beginning some implementation plans or plans for the future and that the board of directors will be looking at this results a little bit deeper, the recommendations and moving forward. But to my knowledge, no one has asked that question. It's a good question, and I'm sure we could get that information somewhere. would be interesting, but over 4,000 people responding is a pretty good response rate. What does that put that at? I can't do the math real quick Well, in it's my less head. than 10%. I mean, we were actually hoping, I was hoping we would have 5,000 people. And we didn't, but the consultants were very happy. They do a lot of work with different organizations, for-profit, non-profit, government organizations. They were thrilled. And the way the results came in, we tracked it by region to make sure that we had enough results, that it could be a statistically significant sample so that we could really extrapolate data from it and predictive data. Well, I see, I downloaded the recommendations and there were six basically six recommendations that came out of this. And so now you're continually meeting or somebody is continually meeting about how to put forward these six recommendations. Is that what I'm hearing you say? We recommended them. We went over them with the board and we actually have them listed in order that we felt they were important to address first. So it really lies in the hands of the board of directors right now. We have been told that there will be some more work with SortSol that 
they will be engaged in a new contract to try to work with the board to look at coming up with a timeline of implementation of recommendations and how to do that and that the board has accepted the report and actually wants to implement each recommendation. So I think now it's going to be a question of what are the resources in terms of time, talent, and treasury and figuring out an implementation slash action plan and how we're going to hold people accountable for a culture change because normally it's five, 10 years to change culture. Mm-hmm. One thing you said that they also queried non-members about the culture of the association, which seems kind of odd to me. I mean, how would a non-member know the culture of the association they don't belong to? That's a good point. And when we looked at it, there were in that group over 300 former members of the ANA, so who have dropped their memberships because they do not see the value in it. And then we had 27 non-members never been a member. I found it quite interesting. We had that many responses. The former members are a little easier to explain because, as I said earlier, if you don't feel your organizational values align with your personal values, you're dissatisfied, you're not going to be a member or engaged for very long. The non-members, while they haven't been in the AANA, in my mind, can't speak to the culture, what they can speak to is their perception of what is going on. And some of them pointed out that they have seen or heard things on social media, that they were didn't like the way conversations were taking place, lack of respect in some of the conversations on social media. So that may be preventing us from keeping members satisfied or even getting new members in if they see a lot of infighting in the organization. You know, whenever I was reading over some of it, actually I found one place that I thought was interesting where there was some advice given to the board and it said that the need to respond to the squeaky wheel or the vocal minority and this is where the member driven part of the association holds the AANA back listening to the squeaky wheels. Was there much discussion around that particular point? Well, there was discussion about does the tail wag the dog? And that's a common phrase people say to to really refer to the squeaky wheel and that the squeaky wheels are the ones that are always bringing something forward. It's addressed and it might make changes only for a small group of the population of the membership. We did discuss that and we discussed that there is legitimacy in everyone's views and you have to look at that and you have to weigh what is the bit of truth on both sides or finds common ground, but that we also can't be held hostage to a small group, a small number that maybe doesn't reflect the whole view of the majority of the membership. To me, that's where the survey came in that we actually reached out to every AANA member and everyone had an opportunity to participate so everyone's voice could be heard. So we can take this group now, the data results, and we can say this is reflective of the membership and not only of a small group of people. Now, I noticed that the staff within the organization was also included in this data. Now, were there any gaps that were found within the staff at the association with the culture? There were. 
And there's something called cultural entropy that we measured, and that is the measurement of the degree of dysfunction in an organization. And if it's above a certain percent, then your organization's in crisis. If it's less than 10%, you're healthy, and I believe it's 40% that you're in crisis. I was surprised, as were others, that the highest level of entropy score was our staff. So we feel like the staff is saying there's some stress, there's some dysfunction. And Sharon, you and I know as having been on the board for years and having been president of the ANA that our staff works extremely hard. They are as invested in this association as are our membership. And I believe now maybe they're working too hard. And there's a lot of changes with the change in the board and the governance. There's changes every year and that they feel like in talking with some of them, they have one priority, they're working really hard on it, and then it gets yanked out for another priority. So I know that our CEO, Dr. Randy Moore, is working on looking at addressing the staff issues in a separate plan. Right. I do agree with you, Jackie. They work incredibly hard for us, and they are invested and believe in what we do. And I, too, believe that they are worked very hard. We've had many discussions in the past, good governance discussions about how long somebody should serve on the board of directors. A lot of organizations have their presidents be the president longer than one year. Now, since we've sat in that seat, I'm not too sure if you want to be president more than one year because you and I both know how difficult it can be. Mm -hmm. The challenges that go along with that as well as the travel, the stress, etc. But think about it. They have a new boss of a board every single year. So I can, I can see mm-hmm. that it would be difficult. And it is something that was a recommendation from the task force to look at governance. Now, I can't tell you any specifics, and I'm not sure what the best way is to look at it, but it's something that our consultant also said. It's a concern when half the board turns over every year and that we might need to look at a change in governance structure moving forward. So we will just have to kind of wait and see where that goes. That will indeed be interesting. Now, (laughs) (laughs) I do notice also that um, part of the culture problems, it seemed as if they, there was a lot of talk about hierarchy, leadership, governance. Does this sound like to you, maybe it's just me, to what people say about society in general, not just their organization, but this seems like a very similar theme. Am I reading that correctly? No, I I would agree that there's a similar theme with the whole status of our country and even government and other organizations we may be in. And even when the members talked about the incivility in communications, we know that's rampant right now. You can see it all over Twitter. You can see it on other things on Facebook or in the news. So some of that I think is a society problem. But by the same token, I think the more we can identify people's perceptions and feelings and what they want, we then can do a better job of communicating, making people understand, bringing people to the table with their ideas 
and what we need to do to plan to move the AANA forward and to enhance the profession. I believe this is the first time we've done anything where we gave every single member, student, and staff the opportunity for a voice. So I think that's groundbreaking. Absolutely. Do you know of another organization who has that has done something similar to this? Or is this what this consultant company does all the time? It's what they do. So they brought in, when they did their proposal, they brought in examples of companies they had worked with and some of the examples of what they had found. But I personally don't know anyone that has done a cultural analysis at this depth. I know there's several other things you can do to look at culture in businesses, but at this depth, it seems to me there's no one else I know personally that's done it. Well, considering your background also having an MBA and being <laughs> interim executive director of the AANA, they made a spectacular choice in having oh. you chair this this task force because you bring a lot of pieces to the table that probably nobody else in our organization could do. So we thank you for that, Jackie. Um, This has been absolutely interesting. Five to 10 years is what they're saying could be that it would take for the culture change. Is that what yeah, I heard so you say? That's that's what I said. And when I was in MBA school, they talked about culture could be changed in two to four years. And now everybody's saying it's longer. And I think for an association where we have members all over the country, I do think it's going to be longer. And how we're going to do it and manage that through will be remain to be seen. We know that we did propose to the board that when we implement this, we're going to have to have teams of people that can work as ambassadors that can help encourage members at meetings or in social media to kind of change the way we're doing things and that we're going to need to remeasure using this same tool in two or three years. So we'll see where it goes. So this is going to be an ongoing proposition. This is not a one and done. That is the plan if we want to make a change. Let me ask you something else. You talk about the culture change. And, you know, when you look at the demographics of our organization, the average age of the CRNA is 50, somewhere along in there. Do they make any association between the ages of your demographic with the culture change? So we did not break the data out by age, but we have that capability. The great thing about this survey was the demographic profiles that we built. We took questions on the front end and we made sure we can later on go back and do data cuts. And we have 10 or 12 of them that are free and then we'd have to pay for a little bit more. But we can cut this data by age, by sex, by practice type, by state, by region, by years of membership in the AANA. There's so many ways to cut this data. So as we move forward, we're going to have to look at it And I think anytime you do good research, you also raise more questions than answers. So there are already questions that we've said, hey, we'd like a little more information here. And we're just going to have to figure out which data cuts we want to begin with and when and then which we might need in the future. But we did do a really good job. The task force worked extremely hard on making sure we had everything we could think of almost as a measurable 
point of demographics. Wow. One more question. We know that the demographic that we are losing within the AANA, not only us, but other organizations, are people who have been out of school less than five years. So did any gaps show up in that particular area with that, that demographic? We didn't break the one to five out. We can. We had a really dynamic task force member in the one to five year, Jessica Ulinski is her name. And then we had a student member. They were particularly engaged, had a lot of ideas and communications and involved in so much of what went on on the task force that I'm excited to have had them. I definitely think we need to break out that demographic when we do our first cuts beyond the ones we just did, the member, never been a member, former member, and staff. Those are the only initial ones we did. So I do know the ANA should be breaking out that exact data set for all the things that you just mentioned. Have you got any final thoughts that you would like to offer, Jackie, about the cultural assessment? This sounds very groundbreaking, and it It's going to be an interesting process to watch, but just wondering if there's something that you have a burning desire to tell us about this cultural assessment. I would just say that I believe in my years with the ANA, and I graduated in 1994, I became a member, and every committee I've been on, the board, everything I've done, I don't think there's anything as important as this task force. And I didn't know that going in. I wasn't even sure how we were going to get from what the board wanted to what we were able to deliver. It was a whole unknown of how are we actually going to do this and is it going to be meaningful, useful data and worth the amount of resources we put in it. And it was It's the best thing I think I've been involved with with the ANA. Wow. Well, thank you for that, Jackie. And Jeremy, my co-host, is outside of the AANA of sorts. He's married to a CRNA, as you know, and he Mm -hmm. has a brilliant business mind. So, Jeremy, looking at this from the outside, what do you have any thoughts you'd like to add in or any questions you'd like to ask Jackie? Yeah, I was just enjoying hearing you and Jackie talk over a glass of wine. I mean, it seemed like you two were sitting next to each other and uh, actually we're staying conversation. On, you know, we're so. staying on point right now. Our husbands call it verbal ping pong usually yes. when we're together because it's hard for us to stay on one topic. Yes. Well, you two obviously have done this before. So yeah, and I and I agree with all this. You know, I look at this from a completely outsider viewpoint and see some of the issues that some CRNAs have with the ANA. And I think it's extremely important to address those, especially in the environment that you guys are in as we move forward. So I think this is probably, as you said, Jackie, one of the most important things that Randy and the board can concentrate on at this point. In the past, people would say, this is what the members want. And I didn't always feel that that's what the members would want, but I also didn't have data to refute it. Now we have data. So I think we can make better informed decisions moving forward. So if you have a crystal ball after this, what do you see the AANA looking like in five years? I know I'm putting you on the spot, Hmm. but just if 
some of the data that you collected, what you looked at, what would you see the organization looking like in five to 10 years? My hope, and I don't know, you know, how we'll get there or what it'll look like exactly, but I think that there will be a change in governance structure. I think that we'll have more members in the one to five year involved. I really do. And that how we get them involved is going to look a little different too. I think we're going to try to meet needs of our members in a better way and develop programs and resources that match with what their values are. Well, thank you very much, Jackie, for joining us today. This has been very enlightening, and we will be talking to you again in the future. Okay, thank you. This is Jackie Rolls, President of the International Federation of Nurse Anesthetists and President and Founder of Our Hearts, Your Hands, a global anesthesia support community that takes donations to allow nurse anesthetists in low and middle income countries to go to educational programs, buy equipment, or textbooks. Your donations are tax deductible, and we would appreciate your support. Next time on Beyond the Mask, we'll be talking about 1099s. Statistically speaking, there's about 14% of the CRNA population, give or take, that are freelancers and are doing freelance 1099 work. We're at a point that demand is extremely high for CRNAs and we're seeing lots of opportunities. And the reason people want these 1099 opportunities is because there's an opportunity to make more money. Tune in next week to hear more. Like what you're hearing? Be sure to subscribe on Apple Podcasts, Google Play, and everywhere else that streams podcasts.